Welcome to the Foundry Church Podcast, helping you to forge a lifelong reliance on God. To find out more about the Foundry Church or how to get involved, visit us at thefoundrychurch.com. All right, so Christina and I, we just love going to the movies. We absolutely love seeing a movie. It's our go-to date night. Now, just a side note, right, if, you, if you're just starting to date, or if you haven't been on a date in a long time, don't pick a movie because you can't talk, but that's, that's just my two cents, but Christine and I, we go a lot. We love the movies. We love to go and get a big, giant bag of popcorn. We love to sneak in some candy and, and some pop, Shh. all right, don't tell anybody, all right? Right, we love to sit in the dark as we dive into a world that is completely not our own. Right, you, you escape a little bit in a, in a movie theater, and I love that. And apparently, I'm not alone. Right, for, for example, let me take you way back, way back to the year 2019. All right? We can remember that far back. In that year alone, movie theater sales were $42.3 billion. Dollars, right? That's billion with a B. Now, now that Foundry Church is a lot of moolah, cabbage, a lot of dough, right? A lot, a crazy amount of money. That is 423 with eight zeros behind it. 423 dollars. It's probably the same number of uh, zeros that the whoever bet on that last horse last night, the last place horse to win the Kentucky. Anyways, 2019 was the year that a little movie called Avengers Endgame came out. Right, does anyone see that movie, right? And that wasn't all. Frozen 2 came out, and we were graced, you parents, with, with uh, Into the Unknown, right? <laughs> we were graced with that lovely number. Uh, another little flick called Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker came out. And, you, know, you may not have seen it. It was just a little small independent indie film that no one cared about, right? Right? We've all seen it, right? And probably all of those other movies, and that is why it was $42.3 billion in sales. So, so here's the thing, Foundry Church. About two years ago, something happened. A panning, right? The, the, the Rona, right, as my niece likes to say. It reared its ugly head. In 2020... All of the movie theaters shut down. And with that, movies changed forever, didn't they? They went from being on the, the big screen in public theaters to, to being on our TVs in the living room, as long as you could pay for the, the subscription, right? In 2020, movie sales were not $42.3 billion. They were a measly $12 billion. Now, that's... That's a lot of money still, right? It's more than most of us will ever see, right? Or any of us will ever see, but it's, it's still not $42.3 billion. Uh, according to Forbes, theatrical equipment accounted for only 15% of the total global entertainment revenue compared to 43% in 2019. It's just a huge drop, and it stayed that way. People stayed at home, stopped going to the movies for almost... Two years until December of 2021. Right, just a, a few short months ago, a little movie by the name of, can anyone guess it? Spider-Man. 
Spider-Man came out. No Way Home, right? Spider-Man No Way Home was released. It was the first movie to make $1 million at the box office since 2019's release of the Avengers movie. I, almost two whole years of so-so eh, movies, and then came along your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, right? And movies were back, baby, right? They were back. Why? Well, I'm sure it had to do with people getting out and about, right, picking back up from COVID. But the real reason that I think we all decided to go back to the movies is that we love a good story, right? We, we love the, the, the story of good versus evil. As people, as a society, we're enamored with those types of stories. We, we love the defense of our way of life that seems to be under siege, under attack, by forces that we could never imagine, right? Let's look at it like this. We love the epic tale of good's triumph over evil, right? That's what we're getting at here, right? That's why we have our favorite books. That's why we have our, our favorite movies, stories, right? We love stories. And I think in December of 2021, we watched this movie, the Spider-Man movie, and most of us did, and we didn't just see Spider-Man climbing up walls and shooting across the city and all his friends fighting the bad guy. We saw a little bit of our story or maybe a glimpse of it or a, uh, just a snippet of what we would like it to be. And I don't mean that the Marvel movies are just like our lives. Right? Sorry, JP. Right? I mean that when we watch a story in which uh, lives were, were falling apart and everything is, is changing and, and there was some sort of adversity or, or some sort of uh, villain that's out there and then there's this triumph and there's this victory and it brought about hope, we saw, or at least we, we wanted to see a, a bit of ourselves in that story. Because here, here's the truth, Foundry Church. Take a, take a look at this. We all have a longing to be a part of the epic tale of God's triumph over evil, don't we? Right, we we kind of have this longing. And we all suppose or, or, or think at least that our lives are kind of utterly ordinary. At least I do. And just be honest, right? We, we get up every morning at the same time. We drive the same car to the same job. We come home to the, the same dinner table. We mow the, the same yard. We watch the same TV shows. We kiss the same spouse. We go to the same bed around the same time. And we wake up tomorrow and we do it all over again. Over and over again. And no great adventure. Right? No, no Hobbit's Tale. No Spider-Man, right? No great adventure of good triumphing over evil. And, and so we think and we, we wrestle with, is this it? Is this all that there is? Right? There's no epic tale for me. There, is this all there is? I'm just the sidekick, the guy who has to stay home and working on the computer. right? right? I, I'm Q. I'm not James Bond or whatever, right? While the, the, the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man goes on an adventure, we're, we're stuck. Well, well, church, I have great news for us. I, there's hope here, right? Everyone here is a Spider-Man. Right? Yes, there you go, JP. Right? 
Now, not literally, but over the past couple of weeks, uh, we have been reading through this book of Revelation. And in it, we, we find uh, this truth, right? We are living in an epic tale of good's triumph over evil. We are. We're in the story. Right? We're living in an epic tale of, of good's triumph over evil. And that's what we're seeing so far uh, through this series. All right, just to, to zoom out a little bit, we've, we've learned about the, the seven churches in Revelation. Uh, we have read about the real Jesus, the, the lion and the lamb, right? And we've looked at worship, and now we're getting to the part of Revelation that scares people, right? Uh, the, the, the part that people have a, a lot of questions about, uh, the part where I was as a preacher this week, like, did I really say we're going to preach through the book of Revelation? <laughs> Or can we just move on to something else, right? The part where we begin to see uh, that there is a world uh, all around us inhabited by angels and demons, a cosmos embroiled in a spiritual battle. An enemy is at work, is what we're learning, is what we're reading. And there's a historical timeline that is hurling us toward a crisis of universal proportions, as every commentary in its brother states. Right? Revelation, this, this book that we're looking at, tells us that we are, are warriors on this great adventure, in this fight to end all fights, that the Christian life, the forging our life on God, is a great adventure. Something that we, we step into. Right? I should have kept the band up here to play like, like Rocky music or something, right? right? But here's the truth. Take a look at this. All of us are seeking to live a life, like we said, that will be told like an epic tale. And Revelation, this book, says you already are. It says you already are, right? There are, are good guys, bad guys, angels and demons, uh, light and dark, um, fire and famine, and all the things that make up this epic tale. We just haven't stopped to realize it yet. Right? And so as we move further and deeper into uh, the book of Revelation, the curtain is being kind of pulled back and to remind us of the grand story that we are a part of. The problem is... We're not at the end of the story, right? Does that make sense, right? We're not at the end of the story. So our lives are not ordinary, that's for sure. We get that, but we have kind of hit a rough patch in the story because we're right smack dab in the middle of this epic tale. You know the part, the, the painful part of the stories and the movies that we watch and read where every person in the theater or whoever's reading the book, they cover their eyes and they, they, they take a deep breath and they just think, how are they going to get out of this? How are they going to escape that? That's where we are. Right? That's the, the part where the enemy looks like they're going to win. That there's no way out. The part before the, the music swells on up and the valiant night comes over the mountainside. The part in the, the valley and the low part in the dark where the battle just seems insurmountable. It's where we are. And, and so I guess the, the better way to say the truth of Revelation so far, as, as we are at least at this point, is this. All of us are seeking to live a life that will be told like an epic tale. And Revelation says you already are. You're just not to the end of the story yet. 
And so that's where we are. You see, if we were, if we, uh, last week, if you were here last week, you'll remember that we just left the greatest worship service in, in all of history, right? They were they're crazy looking animals. There's 24 elders, uh, so many angels singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Everyone's on this, this high. And then we get barely four verses into Revelation 6, where we're going to be today, and everything just kind of starts to <laughs> falling apart. The, the worship seems to be over, and this cosmic battle is going on all around us. It begins to rear its ugly head, and we see that this battle, what it really looks like. Right? And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 6, and we're going to peel this onion this morning. Now, as always, if you don't have a Bible, use the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you, and you can take those with you. Those are free for you to take, to give, to, to use, to give away. Take those with you. We'll be in Revelation chapter 6, the very last book of the Bible, the sixth chapter. You can also download the Foundry Birth app. It's free. Scan that QR code on the back of the chairs. Click the Bible tab, and today's scripture, Revelation 6, is already pulled up there for you. All right, Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 says this. Follow along with me in your Bible. As I watched, the Lamb broke the first of the seven seals on the scroll. Then I heard one of the four living beings say with a voice uh, like thunder, Come. I looked up and I saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow. A crown was placed on his head. And he rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. Verse 3 says, when the lamb broke the second seal, I heard the second living being say, come. And then another horse appeared, a red one. Its rider was given a mighty sword and the authority to take peace from the earth. And there was war and slaughter everywhere. Go ahead and keep it open right there. We'll be right back. All right. Now, first of all, have I said happy Mother's Day? <laughs> right? I mean, whoa, right? We're war and slaughter, everyone, right? Lovely. Right? Just, just when you walk out of worship, John's talking about and experiencing what we, we looked at last week. And can you imagine walking out of church today and it's like, like the movie 300 out in the parking lot, right? right? This is not great. And, and it doesn't stop there. With each seal comes another horrible thing. The problem is, is when we read them with our eyes today, we're not exactly sure what horrible thing John is talking about. So before we go any further, I want to zoom out and I want to step back and explain something about the type of writing that is used in Revelation, especially through the remaining parts that we're going to be looking at in this series. Right? John is writing as a poet. And in an attempt to explain the incredible and unexplainable visions he's given by God, it's a pretty big task, a tough task, if you ask me. So in an attempt to do that, John raids the Greek language for all the metaphors that it has. Like all of them. Every single one of them. Right? And then he doesn't stop there. He moves on to the Old Testament and takes all of the Old Testament images that he can as well, and he uses those. There are over 500 Old Testament allusions in the 404 uh, verses of, of Revelation. <laughs> that, that's more than one a verse, y'all, right? 
Right? There's a lot of illusions there. No wonder we're a little confused here. Right? So, so there's numbers, there's, there's colors, animals, weather. He uses geographical places. Whatever he can think, he brings into the writing of this book of Revelation to try to explain what is really going on in the spiritual world around us. He, he's using every tool in the writing toolbox that he has. Everything he can think of to try to explain what is happening. What, what the, the visions that he's been given by God. And the readers from those seven churches that we've talked about in the last few weeks would have known all of these references. We just have to work a little bit harder because we weren't there. Right? Right? But if, if the same kind of imagery was used for us today, we would immediately see it. Now let me give you an extraordinary example of this. Uh, it's, it, it was by John Ortberg. John Ortberg used once in, in his church to, this illustration to further explain how, how John, the disciple, is authoring this book. So just, just listen to what I read here. The bull, the bull which once ruled the earth for 72 months, has suffered a mighty fall. For at the end of the 72 months, the great right horn of the bull, whose number is 20 and 3 departed, and so did the great left horn of the bull. Then the third horn of the bull, which was pierced in many places and dressed like a woman, likewise departed. Then all the beasts of the earth, the, the hornets and the timber wolves, came and devoured the flesh of the bull, and the glory of the mighty bull was laid low. Now, if I read that, in Chicago in 1999, right, what would I be talking about? The Chicago Bulls, right? The basketball team, right? Can you guess the sport? It's basketball. Can, can you guess whose number is 20 and 3? Michael Jordan, right? And the third horn who had many piercings and dressed like a woman? No. <laughs> Rodman, right? right? Dennis Rodman, right? You get what I'm, I'm saying. And when, so when the disciple, John, is, is writing about these seven seals, he was writing using words and images that the, the people of the seven churches would, would understand. Right? And so uh, we are, are reading about these seals and the images that John is using. Should, we should not be asking, uh, what does this make me think in my present context? We should be asking, what is the historical application of this symbol? And there we'll find our understanding. And that's where we'll really start peeling the layers of the onion here. So back to Revelation 6 and the seals and their symbols. The first seal sets loose a bow-carrying horseman that we read about, who rode to win the battle, to conquer and now the only warriors who rode and were archers at the same time of this writing were the, the Parthenian warriors that were to the east of Rome. And so they would immediately come to mind, these, these warriors for the seven churches, and they were known to be dreaded military invaders. They were conquerors. And so the very first seal, John is telling the reader, we are in a battle, and not just any battle, we are out here fighting uh, not some small army, but a big conquering army. Riders on horses with arrows. We're fighting crazy warriors who have invaded and are, are taking over. And in case we think, well, Andrew, that was, that was back then. Uh, 
we're, we're past that. Right? The, the seals and all the catastrophes they, they bring are, are most, not most likely a, a specific set of events in the past. That's, right? they, there are specific events. They're not even specific events set in the future. <laughs> they are a, a description of what is always taking place. Because we're in an epic battle right now. We are fighting for our lives right now. There is an enemy trying to invade us right now. The seal has been broken. We're, we're, we're living in the midst of, of military invaders no matter when we are reading this. Right? There, there's, this is such an uplifting sermon for Mother's Day. <laughs> now the, the next seal, it goes on and and it talks about a, a fiery red horse whose, whose rider carries a, a long sword, disrupts peace on earth, and causes men to slay each other. Now, we only need to take a quick glance at the Netflix true documentary crime series to understand that this is going on in today's world, right? If, if you haven't watched any of those series, ask Christina. She's seen them all. Right? We all know that somewhere, every day, every minute, someone is killing someone else. And this epic battle is life and it's death. And it should be taken seriously. And God is saying, you, you wanted to live in an epic tale of God's triumph over evil. Well, then this is serious business, so take note. And then it goes on because if, if we're not killing each other, the, the next seal is open and brings along famine. It says this in verse 6. Take, take a look there in your Bible. It says, And then I heard a voice from among the four living beings say, A loaf of wheat bread or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay. And don't waste the olive oil and wine. Right, John's John's readers in Rome would have immediately known that a loaf of bread was starvation rations. Heck, I know a loaf of bread is not going to feed my family, especially if it's a day's wages. It's not even going to feed me. Right? Either way you look at it, in ancient Palestine or in modern Yemen, people, children, families all around the world are starving. We have a, a thriving food pantry in one of the wealthiest counties in the country, in this nation, because the seal has been broken, right? and people are starving. <laughs> Not getting any better, right, on Mother's Day here. So the next seal brings the horseman that is literally death himself. And, and Matt Proctor, who we've been kind of using as a guide through this series, uh, said this about this horseman of death. He says, the echo of his hoofbeat sound in every era, every community, every life, his means are many, sword, famine, disease, wild animals, but the end is always the same. Caskets, funerals, graveyards, weeping families left behind. Death is not our friend. He's always an enemy. No special imagery needed there, right? <laughs> Death is horrible. It's chasing after us all. The, the fifth seal is open and, and along comes Christian persecution and, and martyrdom. And we're not just talking about inconvenience or, or things being a little uncomfortable. We're talking about death for believing. And finally, then we have natural disaster because if we, if we cannot do it, our self's nature will take over. 
Right, ever since the beginning, well, right after the beginning, and since Genesis chapter 3, in fact, the earth has been less than perfect. Earthquakes, meteors, hurricanes, volcanoes, floods, tornadoes. And when the nature malfunctions, people are thrown into chaos, as we know. And that is the sixth seal. We experience it. Again, right? Happy Mother's Day, everybody. <laughs> Be sure to tell your mom you love her. <laughs> right, I meant it when I said that Revelation, especially the chapters that we're getting into, reminds us that we are in this epic tale. That things are going on around us. And we're just not at the end of it yet. Right? These seals sound horrible and they sound like they are possibly the farthest thing from victory, the farthest thing from winning. And so you're probably thinking, maybe my ordinary mundane life was good. I want to go back to that now. You know the saying, everyone wants a miracle? Right? Everyone wants a miracle, but nobody wants to be in that impossible situation that necessitates one. Everyone wants a miracle, but we don't want to be in the situation where we actually need it. And that is where we are as people, as a group, forging our life on God, pursuing the next steps that he has for us, his will and his purpose. And I'm sorry, church, but there's no going back. The seals have been opened, and we're already here smack dab right in the middle of the story, in the middle of the fight. But before we... As, or as we face this reality, I want to bring our attention just to two questions, real quick, uh, that were asked as these seals were open. And that uh, Matt Proctor, who I quoted there, uh, illustrates and highlights. He says two questions that I think will help us fight this battle and, and persevere, that will encourage us as we wage war, that will point us to the hope at the end of the battle. So the first question is found in verse 10. Of chapter 6. All right, just look at it with me where it says this. They shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? So the, the martyrs are crying out, right? They're crying out this How long? How long, how much longer will you make us endure this? How much longer will we have to put up with this? How much longer will our lives be like this? How long? Now, does that sound familiar to anybody? Right? How, how long? You ever lived through a difficult time? Which I know all of us have, right? And you know how I know that, Right? Because I've lived through difficult times, and we've all asked that question, how long, right? When you're not having a good time, time doesn't fly by. It, it drags on. Suffering seems to slow the clock. It's, it seems to make the clock like a, a stop right in its tracks. And trials, they're never short. They are always uh, long and hard and excruciating, and, and I bet... During whatever suffering you are going through, at one point or another, you cried out, how long? I've done the same thing. Christina's done the same thing. We've all done that. I've sat beside some of you as you have said it out loud, how long, God, how long? Now, as most of you know, you know that Christina and her family are very Italian, right? 
And as an Italian, she, she loves a few things as a general rule. Spaghetti and meatballs. It's up there, right? God, spaghetti, meatballs, Barton, me. All right? <laughs> she loves bocce ball, all right? And she loves talking loudly or passionately, as she likes to call it. And she loves the Rocky Balboa movies, right? The Italian Stallion, right? And she's seen every movie. She, she's even seen the new ones and even the Apollo Creed movies that are coming out. And because I love her, I have seen all the Rocky movies as well, even the horrible one, Rocky Five. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? They are, again, an epic tale of good, sometimes triumphing over evil. Uh, but my favorite part in each of the Rocky movies is that training montage, all right, you guys know what I'm talking about, the, the training montage. The first movie has the best one followed closely by Rocky IV. Right now, if you remember the first movie, Rocky starts working out, and the, the song, Gonna Fly Now, it starts building in the background. Right, it's getting faster, it's building up in the background, and in, in a quick sequence of scenes, we see Rocky jogging through the streets of Philadelphia, he's airboxing, little children are, are running after him like the Italian Pied Piper that he is, and then he, he's doing one-handed push-ups, he's, and he's training with a speed bag, he's dancing around frozen meat in a locker, punching sides of beef, Foundry Church, Rocky's trying to be me, right? <laughs> But here's the point of every training montage in those movies or any movies that are like them, right? Great struggle makes great stories, right? Great struggle makes great stories. Nobody is going to see a movie with the plot line, sort of naturally gifted athlete, does nothing particularly demanding in preparation and just easily wins. Not going to watch that movie. Not going to read that story, right? That's not going to be written up in the paper. No, Rocky has to pay his dues, right? He has to work hard and, and struggle to become a champion. If the point of the training montage is that great struggles make great stories, the deception, the lie of these training montages is this. The trials before the triumph are minimal. That's the lie. That's the deception of those, of those training montages in those movies. Right? Those, the, those, those scenes are only about two or three minutes long tops. That's it. Three minutes of working out and punching frozen meat. Beat, oh, bring on Apollo Creed or the Russian and we're going to win. Right? No, that's not real life. That not in our real battles, right, those, those training montages actually represent months and months of grueling weeks of training. He didn't just go to the, the meat locker once, right? He went over and over and over again, right? He, he probably made some pretty confused meat factory workers, but he kept going, right? He kept going and punching the, the side of the cow. He didn't just climb those steps one time. He, he climbed them over and over and over again. He didn't just throw a few one-handed push-ups down on the ground. He did thousands and thousands of push-ups. But then they wrapped all that up, all that hard work up into a nice 120-second long clip for us to watch. And, and, and that's misleading. Because when we are living through and we're uh, uh, living through a training uh, montage, right? When we're living through the, the grueling struggles, the, the fight, the battle, these, these seals being broken and we're experiencing, it doesn't feel like that. It doesn't feel like 120 seconds, right? 
It feels like it's never going to end. How long is what we cry out? You know, at the beginning of today's uh, service, Christina, she reminded us uh, of how far we've come in just a few years and uh, because of the song we were singing. And, and this week, I've really been thinking about those, those years, too. Right? I mean, this, this is me two years ago on this date, preaching to an empty room, right? We had a watch online. You can take that off. No one wants to look at two pictures of you, right? I could not see you guys. I couldn't laugh with you guys. We couldn't see each other. We couldn't take communion together. I could not cry with you guys. We could not worship together. Difficult time, right? And we were, we were crying out, and, and we were thinking, how long are we going to have to do this? But slowly and surely, God has been with the Foundry Church in the struggle, right? And not just the struggle of that, but in our struggles as we take next steps, as we forge our life on God, as we step into his calling, as we minister to one another and into our communities and, and spread his grace and his truth, right? Every, ever since we've replanted God, by God's grace, we've, this place, we've had 21 baptisms. We've baby boom, you can hear them out there, right? <laughs> right? Life's changed, steps taken, families uh, making Relations, healing relationships, right? Families commissioned out. And it makes a great story. It makes a great story. And someday, right, if someone makes a movie about the founder, they might decide to edit all that, all those struggles, down to 120 seconds. Right? But we know that actually living through it was a little bit difficult. Right? That they're, they're, that, you know, the, the, the decision to be baptized took, wasn't just a moment. It was a, a thought-out thing. It was, we had to fight for it. We had to fight for the, the, the mental health that we were dealing with at that season. We had to fight for communing together and worshiping together. We had to do those things. And the churches of Revelation are starting to feel this too. And they are living in fear every day of, of like we've talked about, Domitian, the emperor. And they are screaming out in the catacombs, how long? And let's look at the response that God has for them in verse 11. It simply says, then a white robe was given to each of them, and they were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, the uh, fellow servants of Jesus, who were, were to be martyred, had joined them. They're, they're, they're told, just wait a little bit longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters were killed. Now, don't miss the word full. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and circle that. Right, that's important because full suggests one thing, that there's an end to it. Right? <laughs> When you fill up a cup, you can only go so far, right? You can't, you can go further, but you're making a mess. There's a stopping point, right? right? There, there's a stopping point. There is a completion. There's a full number, and that number is known by God. God knows when the full number will be reached, and he is watching that number. And there will come a time when he will say, it's been long enough. Stop. Right? To be clear, God is not causing the persecution. Right? That is the work of evil men. But to be clearer, he's not ignoring it either. He knows our struggles. He's watching that number, waiting, anticipating. 
Commentator and theologian Warren, preacher Warren Wearsby puts it like this. When you are in the furnace, the father keeps his hand on the thermostat and his eye on the clock. At first I was like, oh, that's awful. But there's hope in that when you really think about it. There's hope on that. His, his eye is on the clock. His hand is on the thermostat. And he knows us. He's with us. There's hope there. We, we are definitely in an epic battle, but our, our general knows how the battle will end and when the battle will end. He knows that the seals are off and the kinds of pains that are out there, but that there is an end. There's a full measure. There's a full number. Right? He knows that it will be worth it, and so don't waste it is what he's encouraging us. And I know it's confusing to say don't waste suffering, but notice what the martyred saints gain from their long suffering, this white robe. Right? White robes are symbols of, of blessedness and purity. And they are a reminder that in our suffering, God purifies us if we let him. If we're not wise, we can let suffering make us bitter rather than better. We, when we experience trials, if all we do is grit our teeth and bear it, we may come out on the other side with just out, worn out teeth, sore jaw. But if we experience trials and we allow God to use them to teach us, to stretch us, to mold us, to forge us, oh, Foundry Church, Foundry Church, we might end up in heaven with a white robe purified in the presence, worshiping like we talked about last week, the Father, our Lord, our God. As the old Scottish preacher Samuel Rutherford said, the greatest temptation out of hell is to live without temptation. Grace withers without adversity. The devil is but God's master fencer to teach us how to handle our weapons. Man, I just love to think that all of the adversity. All of the struggles, all of the moments in the furnace, all the suffering that has um, the devil thinking that he's won. Meanwhile, we're just getting better with our weapons. To fight, to partner with God, to step into his will. Right, we're in the, the middle of the suffering, the middle of the pain, the middle of the epic battle, but God says, oh, Oh, this is just a training ground. Right? This is where you are refined. This is where you get ready. This is the moment you will look back at the end of all this. And it will make sense when you look back on it. This is the time, the end time, when you'll see God and, and how he's going to make the change. And you'll know exactly what he's doing when we look back on it. Right? This is the middle of the fight. And it may be scary. And it may be ugly. And it may be painful. But just wait. I know, I know how, he says. He, he says, I, I know when this is all going to end. That's what our God says. He says, in our suffering, we ask how long, and God answers with a resounding, only as long as I allow it. Our God. Right now, there's another question asked when the seals were broken real quick. But this question was asked by a completely different group of people. In verses six through, um, in chapter 6, verses 15 through 17, it simply says this. Then everyone, the kings of the earth, the rulers and the generals and the wealthy and the powerful, and every slave and free person all hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they cried to the mountain and the rocks, 
fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who's able to survive? Right, so all of these horrible things have been opened, this, these seals. And, and the Christian martyrs ask how long. Meanwhile, everyone else on earth is hiding in caves because they have been uh, never seen anything like this before. And they are freaking out in the, the literal end of the world. And God's judgment has been unleashed. And, and unrepent, unrepentant sinners are crying out to God, who's able to survive this? Right, this is horrible. Who's going who's gonna to make it? Who's, who's going to be able to stand in this? And you can hear their desperation and their question. And the answer to their question, well, we'll find it in Revelation chapter 7. In chapter 7, the next chapter, God is going to give John two parallel visions. And this happens a lot in Revelation. And I'll explain more of it next week as we dig into it. Uh, but what he is really doing is an old preacher trick. Right? He is, he's telling them the answer to their question, and then he's telling them what he told them. That's why there's two parallel visions. He's answering the question, and then he's going to explain the answer. And he, he will do this with two visions that are of the same thing. Let me explain. The first vision is verses 1 through 8 of chapter 7. And in it, John sees a group of God's servants, 144,000 of them to be exact, they are 12,000 from each of the tribes of Israel. Now, these are approximately 144,000. There are approximately 144,000 different interpretations of what this number means. But most scholars come down to this conclusion. They represent the complete company of God's people. Right, that's what the number represents. The 12 tribes represent the new Israel, or as we call it, the church. Right? The number 12 communicates completeness, and the number 1,000 communicates vastness. And Christina helped me with the math, but 12 times 12 times 1,000 equals 144,000. So the number 144,000 equals the vast, complete church of God's people. Right? And this number, this complete and vast church of God's, is marked safe on their social media. That's what we're reading. They checked in safe, right, you know, right? Hey, their, their bodies may still suffer, but their souls, no one can touch their, uh, put their hands on their souls. Like God's got them. Every single one of them is marked with a new seal, the seal of God. And then in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17, John is given another vision, an even more detailed vision of the vast and complete church of God's people. Right? The, the first vision shows God's people symbolized by the number 144,000. The second vision shows God's people as they truly are. It says, a vast crowd, too great to count. A vast crowd, too great to count. The first vision portrays God's people figuratively as the tribe of Israel. And the second vision shows us the literal image of God's people. People from every tribe, nation, people, group, language. Right? You see what we're getting at here when we look at this. Right, the first vision right, shows John the church as he can only imagine. Right? And the second shows the church as God truly sees it. 
The white robes he has ready are in the number so large that we could never even begin to count them. The people will come from every corner of the earth and it will be a gathering so beautiful and so diverse and amazing that we can never just wrap our minds around the beauty and the power of this gathering. And even better, in the second vision, the group of the, the redeemed hold palm branches as a symbol of victory in their kingdom. Right? John sees laid before him an image of eternity where unfathomable amount of believers will stand victorious before the God of the universe with no more hunger, no more thirst, no more tears. No more sweating in the sun, right? You get an amen for all the big guys. Right, the vision says, says this, these visions, these parallel visions. You may ask who's able to survive that question, and God answers with a resounding, the redeemed of the Lord. His church. Those who are forging their life on him. Not that we are perfect, but God is our God. God is our Lord, and we're forging our life on him. We are in this epic battle for survival, an epic battle for good to triumph over evil. And sometimes it seems like the fight will never end and God will never come back and no one could ever survive this. But God says in Revelation, I see you. I see you. And I have my eye on the clock, my, my fingers on the thermostat. And when this is all over, the redeemed of the Lord will be saved. Like, I got you. And so as I, as I call the band to come back up, I want to share this other, this, another story of an epic battle for good and triumph. During World War II, some Americans were in a German prison camp, and they had built a small makeshift radio so that they could keep up with the war and receive messages and, and news and they kept it hidden from the guards. And one day, news came over that small little radio that the German high command had surrendered, ending the war. But because of communications and breakdowns at the end of the, of the war all over Germany, the German guards, they did not know it yet. They didn't know it yet. The, the prisoners did, but the, the guards didn't. It, it took four days, it says, for the, the word to reach the Germans. But in those days, things were different for the prisoners. Sure, they still suffered. They were still mocked and abused. They were still in the midst of a great trial. But the prisoners had changed a little. They, they waved to the guards. They laughed at the guards' dogs. They told jokes during mealtime, even reports of, of songs being sung. Why? Because in the midst of their suffering, their salvation was sure. <laughs> they knew that it had an end date. They did not know the end date, but they knew there was one coming. In Revelation 6 and 7, we understand the feeling of those prisoners. Because we hear from God that he knows about our suffering and salvation is on the way. Victory has come. So maybe you want to be a part of this epic life where good triumphs, but it seems like you can't get out of the, the, the battle scene. You can't get to the victory. Revelation 6 and 7 encourages us to endure, to forge ahead, 
because an end is coming and salvation is on the way. We can be confident of this. So let's stand together as his church and worship him. Our God.